Money Show. Business books. Well, one of the highlights of going to Davos earlier this year was seeing the great Jack Ma speak. Who is Jack Ma? Well, you weren't paying attention during the Davos broadcast. But Jack Ma is the founder of a company called Alibaba. It is China's biggest internet company. It listed in New York last year and has taken the world by storm. One of its first Western employees was a man called Porter Erisman. He joins us on the line from Tokyo this evening. He was a vice president at Alibaba. Were you the first or one of the first Westerners to be employed by Jack Ma, Porter? I wasn't the first, but I was one of the first. And uh, for the first eight years, I was really the one of the few who sort of lasted throughout all the ups and downs. I mean, you tell a most compelling story in your book, Alibaba's World, how a remarkable Chinese company is changing the face of global business. And you'd worked in big business in China. You'd worked all over the world. You uh, were renowned in the world of public relations for being something of a mover and a shaker. Yet you desperately wanted to work for a Chinese company that was globalizing rather than for a global company that was becoming more Chinese. Yeah, you know, a lot of my clients were uh, U.S. Internet companies that were entering the China market, such as Yahoo and other companies. But to me, I always wanted to join a startup. And so I thought the biggest challenge I could find was this company called Alibaba, which was trying to be the first global company from China. So rather than helping Western companies come into the China market, I made a shift um, to be a part of what I thought might be a more exciting trend, which is a, be a part of a Chinese company going global. And tell me about your interview. It lasted all of five minutes with Jack Maher himself in those early days. Yeah, I learned very quickly that he's someone who makes uh, decisions really based on gut instinct. So I went to a customer event that they were holding in Shanghai, and Jack Ma gave a, got up, gave a speech. It was a really sort of ragtag event, like watching the Rolling Stones maybe on their first gig. It uh, wasn't very professional, but it seemed like the team was having a lot of fun and really inspired. And so I sat down with Jack Ma for about a few minutes, and then he asked me when I was going to join the company. So he made a decision uh, really quickly. But, but it was chaotic. I mean, the, you described the scenes in this business. It's not only a startup, but it's a fast-growing startup. It's a fast-growing startup with, which was chaotic. I mean, Jack Maher is a former school teacher who'd um, really struggled, and he told the story at Davos earlier this year how he'd applied to Harvard and been rejected. I mean, he was nobody's uh, idea of the, a chief executive of the biggest internet company in China, as Alibaba has become. But those early days sound as if they were complete and utter pandemonium. Uh, they were, and it was really a product of the times. I mean, it was the company just raised $25 million when I joined. It was growing really quickly. And I think Alibaba had all the idealism that you'd expect from a teacher and his uh, friend starting a, a company and just raising $25 million. Um, but even Jack Ma himself was saying he would leave the company in four years because he assumed he just wasn't the person to carry the company forward, that he'd have to hand over the company to uh, experienced professional manager. Um, but through our experience of expanding too quickly, and I write about in the book what it was like to go with Jack Ma to the U.S. and lay off our staff we had just hired, um, through that period of chaos, we finally had to withdraw and come back to China with our operations. And we sort of stabilized our company. And really a big part of my book is talking about how we went from chaos to stabilizing and then growing. I mean, it, it goes to the point, I mean, that uh, Jack Ma was really, I suppose, in the, the mode of a school teacher who knew 
nothing about the internet. I mean, you talk in the book about how by the time you left in 2008, Jack Ma kind of knew how to respond to emails. I mean, he remained something of, of not quite the tech guru, if anything, a tech dummy. Uh, and how Jack Ma um, sort of surrounded himself with experts from McKinsey and all over the place because he felt, I suppose, in some measure inadequate to be uh, heading up something as big and as radical as Alibaba was rapidly becoming. Yeah, and in the very first part of the book, it's all about how we had hired this dream team of McKinsey consultants and Harvard MBAs and experts. But this actually turned out to be a huge disaster for us because um, Jack tried to surround himself with experts, but it turned out e-commerce at that time, especially in China, there were no experts. And so we had a team of all-stars that didn't work well as a team. And so that layer of management all got laid off and really, it reverted back to the original founders. And I think one of the most inspiring things about my experience there was seeing that it was a case of ordinary people with no special business backgrounds or special <laughs> sort of contacts with the government. They brought the team together, and Jack's great skill was creating a team that worked well together, which helped us face huge uh, goliaths like eBay, which is one of the things I talk about is this ordinary team with no special background was able to take on the U.S. internet titan of the time, which was eBay. It was in those early days where Jack Ma would go on to public podiums and would speak his mind and would say, oh, don't worry about the revenues. The revenues will come. Don't worry, we'll make lots of profit. Um, and the dream team that he built around him before they all had to be fired were devastated by the lackadaisical approach he seemed to take to corporate communications and sort of made it your job to make Jack Ma look a little bit more professional. Well, yeah, one of the first things that this professional team, the sort of dream team did was uh, after Jack Ma gave a speech in one of the first weeks I was at the company, uh, I had several managers pull me aside and they said, Porter, you've got to get Jack Ma out of the public spotlight. There's too many people focusing on him and he's saying these crazy things. No one's going to take us seriously as a business. Um, but I looked at Jack and my advice to him was just, be yourself. That's what got you this far. Um, because it turned out that just being a sort of canned corporate CEO saying all the right things is not something that people like. It was actually refreshing that Jack was one of the few people at the time who was just speaking his mind. And that's why a lot of times people hear one quote he says and they think he's totally crazy. But I think when you look at the whole picture of what he says, it all makes sense. So I personally didn't think he was crazy over the long term. Um, but you take one comment here or there, and it sounds pretty crazy. I mean, one of the biggest risks you took as the PR guy in those early days, and forgive me for the pronunciation here, but I'm not that good at Chinese. Uh, Wang Zhu, is that where the headquarters of, of, of Alibaba is? Yeah, Hangzhou, Hangzhou, Hang China. Hangzhou. Um, you took uh, one of the writers from Forbes magazine to Hangzhou, and uh, you introduced him to Jack Ma and said to Jack at that point, just be yourself. And the Forbes guy couldn't believe his luck that he'd met this guy he was prepared to be human rather than corporate yeah he was saying things i remember from that interview like in the internet days you have to be as fast as a rabbit and patient as a turtle and alibaba is chasing after the shrimp and the other companies chasing <laughs> after the whales he was speaking in these metaphors yeah. that were kind of crazy but um you know journalists liked it i think when I think a company and a leader, they all have to have a personality and that so many companies these days just 
try to be on message all the time. And I think when companies do that, they lose what makes them human. I mean, after all, at the end of the day, a company is a human organization. You, you survived the big um, headcount cuts that uh, Alibaba affected. But it came to a point, though, when uh, Jack Ma came to you one day and said, Porter, all of the local management have taken big pay cuts, and I want you to know that you're the most highly paid person in Alibaba. And you were, relative to everybody else, on an incredible salary package for the time. And that caused you to have a, a fair amount of introspection, didn't it? Yeah, you know, Jack pulled me aside one day, and it was a tough time for the company when we were cutting back. And he said, um, Porter, I want to tell you that you're the highest paid guy in the company. And um, he said that all the senior management around him had taken a pay cut of 50%. And I just realized at that time, because it's very common in expat situations that expats are paid these exorbitant salaries and packages, while the local team is paid a lot less. Um And Alibaba was a unique company where it was founded by locals in China, but they had gone out to pay expats, expat salaries, making, so they were making much, much less, sometimes maybe a couple, few thousand dollars a year while the expats were making, you know, 20 times that. And so I just kind of saw the writing on the wall there. I didn't think it was even appropriate, um, that I should be getting paid more and, um, it seemed just too colonial that I could be getting paid more than even my bosses. And so uh, that's when I volunteered uh, to take a break and from the company and come back uh, maybe when they needed me more. But when I came back, I came back for half the pay um, just because the company was still sort of recalibrating to a new reality of the post-bubble world. But, but something that seems to sort of be epitomized in Jack Ma's philosophy is about ownership, and he spread the ownership of Alibaba very, very broadly. And when you left, um, everybody, when they left, was given the option of three-month salary or a month salary and some stock options. You opted for the three-month salary, but they insisted you keep your options, which I'm assuming was still valid by the time you came back. Yeah, you know, that was amazing. I mean, and this is one of the things when I look at myself as there are a lot of things I learned that challenged my own assumptions about business and life, and this is one of them. I mean, when when I was leaving Alibaba back in 2001 for, to take one year off about, um, they offered me to keep my stock options, sort of a goodwill gesture, just saying, hey, you know, this is just a favor we want to do, and we hope you come back. And my initial response was, you know, I just wasn't that interested. I didn't even think it mattered. I assumed the company, I remember telling people, I thought the company might be about a $10 million market cap someday, that it would be like a sort of a, a nice little cute boutique internet company. <laughs> and, um, of course, now it's worth more than $200 billion. Please tell me um, you kept your options until the listing at least. Well, I'm, I'm a very, very conservative investor, so I can say I have a tiny slice of the original shares that I had because <laughs> I was selling over the course of it. Once again, uh, you know, I think of myself as very stupid. I mean, huh? those founders who were paying themselves $500 uh, a month or 500 no, $50 a month at the beginning, well, they're all billionaires now because they were holding yeah. on to equity. So, But, you know, for me, when I came back to the company, I viewed it as like joining the Peace Corps. That was actually another thing I was thinking of doing is join the Peace Corps. I said, oh, I'll just go. It's kind of like working at a an international charity organization, nonprofit. Um, I had no idea that it would grow into 
now a $200 billion company. Uh, Jack Miles, seeing him talk in Davos, has got a wicked sense of humor. He is massively self-effacing. Um, he is incredibly charming. Uh, he, he, you write in your book that he, Jack says if he ever wrote a book, it'd be Ali Barber and the 1001 Mistakes. He seems to be somebody perfectly in touch with his humanity and perfectly in touch with his flaws and perfectly in touch with the fact that um, he, he's not an internet genius by any stretch of the imagination. He just works blooming hard and has kind of figured it out over a, over a nearly 20-year period. The risk in writing a book like this is that because I had such a positive experience and I had a... a you know, a really good view of him. The risk is people think you're just, um, you know, you love your boss so much and yeah. you don't have any objectivity. But that's one of the things, hopefully, when people read the book, is they can learn from this case of this one leader who I think he has tremendous skills. And the skills are really these leadership skills. So you mentioned sense of humor. I mean, we were laughing in our uh, meetings all the time, but he brought a really strong sense of humor to the meetings. It was fun, um, but also a sense of purpose. So I think here being an English teacher is something that you know, served him well because a teacher's view, he kind of viewed his, his, our colleagues as students, and a teacher always wants their students to succeed. And a teacher is always trying to keep their class entertained through jokes because that's just the toughest thing for a teacher to do. So he was, had a sense of humor. He kept us all engaged, uh, but he also had a sense of purpose. So he would set a goal, and we were chasing those goals that he laid out rather than chasing him and trying to make him happy. And I think, you know, at the end of the semester, he could be tough, too. So if you, despite everything he did to try and help you help yourself, if you didn't perform well, well, at the end of the year, the end of the semester, you would hear from him and uh you'd be encouraged to do better or or else um, you'd be asked to leave the company. Porter Erisman, former insider at Alibaba's, written a book called Alibaba's World, How a Remarkable Chinese Company is Changing the Face of Global Business. Alibaba listed in the United States last year, one of the biggest IPOs in American history. And Jack Ma, the founder, one of the most extraordinary business leaders of his generation and one of the richest guys in China.